Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, just um, those a plug for the book that I wrote, for those of you that aren't aware of, it's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's at Desert Book and Amazon and Siegel and Target, Walmart, online, and encourage you to get the book and read it. It has hundreds of stories of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, if you have time, I really appreciate you going online and writing a review on Amazon or Deseret Book. It helps more Latter-day Saints connect with the book and hear stories. Um, shifting gears, uh, my guest on today's podcast is my friend, Adam Brulot. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thank you so much, Richard. And thank you very much for um, inviting me to be a, um, a guest on your podcast today. I'm really glad to have Adam here, listeners. We visited maybe about a month ago, and now we're recording this podcast. Adam spells his last name B-R-U-L-O-T-T-E. Will you pronounce your last name for us, Adam? Yeah. So it's a French last name, and so it's pronounced Brulotte in French. So Adam Brulotte. But my, um, if in English, it's fine, Adam Brulotte. And tell our listeners where you live. So right now, I actually live in a small town in Alberta, in Canada. It's called High Prairie. I'm just outside of High Prairie, about maybe about a 10 to 12 minute drive outside. And the closest city is Grand Prairie. Um, and it's about a two hour, a little more than two hour drive to Grand Prairie. And uh, so I'm actually part of the Grand Prairie, Alberta State in, in the church. And uh, for our listeners, an overview of, of Adam, we're going to talk about Adam's journey to join the church. Uh, well, we're going to start before then. We're going to talk about Adam's journey as a gay um, person and coming out to his parents in his late teens, maybe around 20. Then we're going to talk about him joining the church about 24. He um, and joined the church in Canada, and then he is in his late 30s and is, a, is the first counselor in a branch presidency in the Grand Prairie Stake. And that's a just on a personal note, when my parents served as mission presidents in Canada, I used to go to their, their list of zones, and there was this zone called the Grand Prairie Zone, and I just imagined what it would be like there. And it was far north from Calgary, and it looked like a beautiful, cold spot. And um, so I've always wanted to kind of go where Adam lives. And here we are doing a podcast together. So we said a prayer before yeah. we started listeners. And um, Adam's really brave to share his story. This will be talking about why he joined the church, his journey to feel accepted as a gay member of the church, and more than accepted, actually put in leadership and see his contributions um, being used to help grow um, the kingdom in the areas that he served. We may touch on his health challenges that he's had and, and just some of, and just his story. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Adam? Absolutely. That's perfect. And also I want to just want to say uh, you're more than welcome always to come up and visit. So <laughs> if you ever do come, I'd, I'd love to meet you in person. We're recording this podcast in early January and in Salt Lake city, it's about 39 um, Fahrenheit, and right now it's about three degrees centigrade. Is that what you call it? Which, Celsius. Celsius, yeah. which translates into about the same temperature. So it's an unusually warm day. 
um, where Adam is calling in from. So hope, but I don't think that'll last is my guess. Talk, tell us about, okay, so you're in Canada, you're a teenager and you're coming to terms with being gay. Tell us about um, kind of when you realized you were gay and coming out to your parents. Right. So, okay. So, I mean, um, being gay, I mean, you, growing up as a teenager, you always have um, the feelings that uh, like all of a sudden you have this, these feelings and, and emotions and, uh, and you do sense attraction, you know, and um, I think initially I um, wanted to deny it. Right. Uh, my initial gut instinct was, okay, well, it's, it's just a phase, you know, and you think the thoughts in your mind and, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm bi, you know, and then, and then you think, okay, well, like the amount of, the amount that I love kids and the amount that I love people, I just would really love to have a family. And, and I think I thought to myself, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll be able to get married. I'll be able to have kids. I'll be able to have a family and, and that's fine. And, um, you know, growing up, I was, uh, born and raised Catholic, mini Catholic family. And, um, you know, I, I always went to catechism, you know, I did the whole nine yards. So, you know, when, after realizing and coming to terms with thinking, okay, well, no, it's actually, it's not a phase, you know, I came to the realization I'm, I'm actually gay and, you know, the attractions are strong there. And you realize that it's, um, actually how, how much of an impact it is of a genetic thing, you know, um, you know, it's not a phase. It's how you've been created by God. And, um, you know, I think I had to have myself all of those realizations and all the realizations that, it, you know, it's okay because God's created me this way. And I needed to understand that myself before I felt comfortable and confident enough to even tell anybody. Um, and meaning my parents mainly, right? Um, and I guess the other thought in my mind being raised Catholic and devout Catholic, um, that I was, I was worried that maybe it wouldn't be accepted and it would be, um, you know, like I, I, I just had all these different thoughts. And I mean, my parents are amazing people and very, very loving, caring individuals. And, but for some reason in the back of your mind, you still have that thought, okay, well, you know, they'll be really disappointed and they'll be really upset when you tell them, you know. Um, however, you know, it, it took me quite a bit to finally say, actually outright tell them. And, and, I, and I knew I had to. And so I did. And I still remember the day that I, I did. And, and um, you know, right away, they, they started telling me about other people in their lives or other people that I might even know that are gay or other people that they knew that were gay. And well, you know, and it, and in that sense, it was a way of kind of comforting and letting me know that they were okay with it because they knew other gay people and they're trying to point out to me that it's okay. You know? And I also remember, I think it was the very next day I was riding in a vehicle with my dad and I, I don't remember exactly where we were driving, but, um, we were on the road on the highway and, and all of a sudden my dad said to me, you know, um, I'm really 
I, I really appreciate the way that you went about telling us the fact that you're not telling us that it, it's a phase or, you know, you've actually taken the time to think about it and come to terms with it yourself. And you have that full understanding and realization. And then you're explaining it to us in that way. And he said, I really appreciate that. And at the end of the day, you're still my son. And I've always been proud of everything you've ever done. And I still love you. And, you know, you're still the same person, you know. And so right away, those thoughts and those expressions and sentiments. I mean, I know my parents are amazing people. And now I look back at it and it, it makes me makes me feel like I make me think that I was almost um, over over worried. I was too worried about telling them and I shouldn't have been. Um, but, you know, we live in you live and you learn. Right. And you grow from the experiences. But just that initial sentiment from my dad. And I mean, my mom was the exact same way. And it's just, you know, it, it's just an overwhelming um, feeling and almost like a whole weight lifted off your shoulders to know that they are okay and that they've supported and they're fine. You know, that's a great, that's a great segment, Adam. Are your parents alive? They are still. Yeah. Well, yeah. if they happen to yeah. listen to this, I hope, I bet that puts a big smile on their face and it helps other parents know how to respond. I love that they didn't call this a phase or didn't make you prove it or they just, and even connect, you know, I just love that what they did and somehow they had the skills to um, say really helpful things when you bravely came out to them in a real vulnerable moment that I'm not sure parents prepare for. It just came naturally for your parents. So that's really a great story. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that says a lot to that really speaks volumes about them and their characteristics. Absolutely. They're very, very loving and caring people. Tell our listeners where you grew up, what part of Canada? Okay, uh, so I grew up, um, I was born in, in Peace River, <laughs> which is actually a little bit further northwest of High Prairie, where I'm living right now. Uh, and then we moved to Barhead, which is actually a small community an hour northwest of Edmonton. And I graduated high school there. And when I finished high school, I um, actually moved to Saskatoon. Uh, to go to university in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And um, I was taking um, uh, the music education program, so to get a music degree and an education degree. And um, yeah, so that's Saskatchewan. It's the province just to the east of Alberta. So <laughs> for the majority of the listeners, it's still up in North Old Canada. <laughs> it is do you have, I don't know if you have a way to answer this question, but I've wondered, I've wondered if you grew up in a less homophobic environment than in America in general or Utah in particular. I don't know if you have a feeling for what, and it's probably hard to compare, but what was it like growing up? Were you hearing negative things about gay people, neutral things, positive things? Was it a, you know, there's just, there's different cultures around the world. If you're growing up LGBTQ, some that are much better than others. Any feeling for what it was like where you were growing up? You know, that, that's a very good question. And um, you're right. It is, it would be very, very tough to compare. Um, 
what all I can say is, um, I guess for myself, I've always kind of, um, like way back when I was little and young and growing up and I knew I was gay, even now, um, in people that I encounter, I've myself, I've never made it a big deal of outright telling people that I'm gay. I never, I, I don't think that it's, um, something that I ever go up right into someone's face, you know, and make a big deal of it. And that it's, uh, you know, it's not really, I, I guess I come with the impression that it's not really people's, everybody's business to know. But at the same time, I know that it's part of how God has created me, right? So I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid to share it if I get asked. I, if, if someone has ever asked me, I do tell them. But I also am always myself, right? So I don't put on an act. I don't try to pretend to be straight. You know, I am the way that I am. In all acts and all dealings in my life, I always have been. This is, you know, um, my personality, my character, my mannerisms, everything all is all 100% true me. And if anyone has ever asked me, um, I, I, I will admit and I'll tell them, yeah, you know what, I'm gay. Those that are very close to me and are really good friends of mine and, you know, those that it, it, it mattered to, you know, those that matter um, know that I'm gay. Um, you know, and past that, if I guess I have the impression that if people know, they know, and if they don't, they don't, and that's fine. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to change the way I am, whether I'm gay or straight or whatever sexual orientation. This is the way that God has created me, and that's how I act every day. Um, you said some really, really good things in that. Um, you said, this is how God created me, and I'm not ashamed. And so to me, that's a sign of you don't have a lot of internalized homophobia, Adam. You're just, you know... Right. God created me this way and I'm not ashamed. How did you get to that point? Or were you always at that point? Because I think I've a hypothesis of mine, if we didn't have cultures that created internalized homophobia, that people would feel that way from birth. <laughs> if we just said kind things about LGBTQ people in, in all circles, that they would come to that conclusion quicker, that this is God, how created me and I'm not ashamed. Any thoughts about just how you got to that point? Is is it you? Is it the cultures you're around? Is it your relationship with heavenly parents? Is it a combination of a lot of things? I, I think it is a combination of many things, but um, and, and you're right. It is kind of it, it's kind of a mixture. I think um, I, I think ultimately, I think the bulk of it stems at home. I mean, I reflect back, and yeah, you you grow up in a very loving home. And like I said earlier, I, I look back at it and I, and I kind of shake my head and wonder why I didn't, uh, why I waited so long to, to actually even tell my mom and dad. However, I, I think the upbringing in the home is a huge center focal point of that. And then also always being, um, you know, I mean, even though I was born and raised Catholic, you're always centered in God and centered in Jesus Christ. And, and 
you learn about the faith and and you learn about having faith, right? And you learn about God's creations and and all the many wonders that God has done. And and prayer and the huge impact that prayer has in life. So, you know, I think kind of all combined, you know, I and I, when I was starting to have the um the the feelings of attraction um you know i i really had to think about it and consider and ponder and and i realized and that's where i came to the realization yes it is part of how i've been created it's like i've got blue eyes if i didn't like that and i all of a sudden said well i i want brown eyes can i change that well no i can't change that you know not naturally at least right um so the same thing like i'm gay it's how i've been created you know that's and and i believe that i just have that strong faith and that strong belief that you know we're always taught god doesn't make mistakes right he's perfect everything that he does is perfect so if this is how i've been created you know there's got to be a reason for it there's got to be a purpose for it and I guess at that same point, I came to a realization that I felt that if I tried to deny it, I mean, yeah, I could, I could easily have said, oh, you know what, I'm straight and I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids. And I could have followed that path as much as I love kids. I really do. But I would be being deceitful to everybody. I'd be deceitful to my wife (laughs) i'd be deceitful to everyone around me i'd be deceitful to my parents i'd be deceitful and most importantly number one i'd be deceitful to god right i would feel i came to the realization that i feel felt like i would be turning my back on god almost like turning my back and not accepting the way that he created me Right. So, and to me, I felt that that would be the biggest sin that I could ever commit. Right. So we have our, our, our heavenly father who we know to be perfect and pure and has a purpose and has, has a plan for everybody on, on this earth. And he's created me. And yes, I have the same sex attraction. I'm gay. And if I tried to change that in any way, or I tried to deny that, or lie about that, or whatnot, I'd be lying to God and turning my back on him for how he has created me. And I just came to that realization. And from then on, I just, I was like, you know what? There's got to be a reason. And I just need to have faith. And I need to believe and be myself. And be myself to everybody. That's a great, there's a lot of young LGBTQ people listening to that, Adam, and it's very helpful to them. Talk about, um, in the States, there's a lot of communities that, you know, help LGBT people to kind of navigate this road. Um, And often those communities help them come to the same conclusions or therapists or church leaders. Um, have you had any of those in your life or has this been, has this been a very much of a personal journey and personal revelation um, to get to where you are? 
Yeah, and and that's a very good question too. And I I think for me, and I mean every, it's going to be different for everybody. You know, there's different journeys for everyone, and they, um, different people, you know, um, deal with things differently, and they cope with things differently. And and for me, I guess primarily it was an individualized thing. It was very much so, and like a individualized realization. And it was a decision that I just was like, look, like. <laughs> this is how I'm, I've been created. I just need to be myself every day. Um, but I think, um, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of it centers in the home and the upbringing and the beliefs that you are instilled as a child, right? I had those, in, I had those beliefs of faith, those beliefs of love and unconditional love, right? Um, so. For me, it was very much an individualized thing, uh, and that worked for me. I mean, there might be other people. You're right that if they need to seek help other ways, by all means, there are many ways out there. You know, through therapists or counselors, or sometimes it's even just talking to someone else, another individual that has gone through that same scenario. Right? Sometimes that helps. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, for me, it was very much personal and individualized. It's, um, as I've met with many LGBTQ people, they get to the ones that really get to a good spot emotionally, get to the place you are, um, and talk like you do. And, um, it helps me understand there's a lot of ways to get to that spot and you've done it pretty much alone without a lot of community, but it can be done. And, I think one of the things, the key things here is your personal relationship with God and our doctrine to receive personal revelation. Talk about joining the church. So why there's a, we could probably do an hour podcast just on your conversion story. (laughs) So you're going along in life um, and you join the church. Share with our listeners your conversion story. Oh, definitely. So, okay. So backing up a little bit to Barhead, as I mentioned, um, it's a little community, uh, an hour northwest of Edmonton. And um, Barhead used to be, uh, I think it's been beat out now, but it used to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most churches per capita, believe it or not. Yeah. So Barhead, this town of a population of 4,200 people. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe they had 35 I think it was 35 different church denominations, different church buildings in this town. So <laughs> you primarily grow up in a community with all these different denominations. And on, you put on top of that, the fact that you're musical and you can play the piano or the organ. Uh, you get asked to, um, to cover for church services in all these different denominations, right? So I found that very interesting and very intriguing, actually, to be able to go and and, and participate in another church denomination and um, to go to see how, how they have their services and see and even interact with people and see what they believe and see what they, they think about things and, and try to piece together the differences. You know, I, I really like that. And so it, it kind of, 
it kind of came to a realization. I, I knew a lot about so many different denominations. And um, so I, I'm just going to tell a quick story. So I was in Saskatoon. And, um, and as I said, Catholic and doing lots of music for many Catholic churches. And um, anyhow, um, there was a nun in Saskatoon that that always played the piano at one particular church. And it was on the other side of the city from where I was living. And she asked me if I could cover for her one, one Saturday night mass. And I said, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I went and I played the music um, for the mass. And when the mass was done, I, you know, everybody left really quickly and I was putting, putting, cleaning up and putting away the music. And I was the last one to leave church basically and I was walking out of the church building and I walked to the sidewalk and I turned to my right and I looked and I saw two gentlemen in suits walking the opposite direction for me like walking further away from me um obviously (laughs) I knew uh, I, I mean I knew that they were LDS missionaries and uh, and it dawned on me. Um, I had about fifteen minutes before I really needed to leave, and it dawned on me that with all the different denominations that I knew a lot of information about, I didn't really know very much about the LDS faith. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and talk to these gentlemen. And I so I followed them, and I went and I and I went into the. They actually walked into a park. So and actually I. I happened to follow them and I actually went and talked to them. And so they connected me up with the, it was on the other side of the city. So of course the missionaries are set up into different areas. So they actually referred me over and connected me up to the missionaries in the area where I live, uh, which is great. And um, so I started meeting with the missionaries and through meeting and discussing and talking and obviously reading, and reading the Book of Mormon, I just knew um, I could feel a, a very strong spirit when I did, and when I read, when I read from the Book of Mormon. And I, I just knew that that spirit was something that I had never really experienced before, or never really fully experienced the strong strongness of the spirit and and so then i went and i um uh i actually attended a couple of lds services and same thing when i walked into the buildings you know there was just a different spirit and the more that i learned about the doctrine the more that i um i i thought i i just knew i just knew i felt from the spirit and I, I, I was given direct, um, um, like I, I was given the testimony essentially uh, for, through the spirit that this was correct and this was true and that this was right doctrine that I needed to follow. And so I, I thought about it. I pondered. I prayed a lot. Um, I did a lot of talking to other members that I had met, at, you know, already. Um, and I made the decision to that, okay, you know, it just felt right 
then I need to join the LDS church. Now, upon making that decision, um, the missionaries I'd been meeting with, they didn't want to, they didn't want to tell me the full story of what happened the day that I walked up to the missionaries and tell after I decided to join the church. So they told me after the fact, I said, yes, I want to join. Apparently, those two missionaries that I saw when I walked out of the Catholic Church that day, about 10, 10, maybe 15 minutes before I saw them, they had been walking down that block earlier. And as they passed by the Catholic Church that I was playing in, one of the two of those missionaries had a spiritual prompting that they needed to turn around and walk back to the block that they had just come from and knock on the door of the house there. And so the missionary that had that spiritual prompting was green. Like he was brand spanking new. I think he'd been out on his mission for about two weeks at this point. So he was with the person that was training him. So of course he has this prompting. They follow it. So they went back, knocked on that door of that house. They didn't, and the person at that home didn't want to talk to them, didn't want to have anything to do with them, kind of turned them away. These two missionaries then continued on their way, walked back down the block, and that happened to be as I walked out of the church to see them and follow them. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things in our lives that don't help, that don't just happen by coincidence. You know, God is watching over us. There's angels. I believe there's angels always watching over us. You know. The spirit is always with us and giving us promptings for reasons. And I guess they didn't want to share that part of the story with me because they didn't want that part of the story to influence my decision on whether I should join the LDS church or not. But after hearing that part of the story, it just um, magnified the decision. You know, it just felt right that that was what God was wanting me to do. He gave that missionary that prompting, like the spirit gave him that prompting from God. And he walked back and he followed it. Now, those two missionaries, um, I still have contact with. Cool. I'm very, very good friends with those two. Tell and actually listeners. both of them, I hope, that they, I hope that they both listen to this podcast, in fact. Tell our listeners um, their names. What's that, sorry? Tell our listeners their names. Okay. So, um, Braden Larson and Carson Whitaker. And Carson Whitaker was the one that was brand new that had the spiritual prompting. Um, and then I also, I, I, you know, I, that, from there, they weren't in my area. So they passed me on to, um, it ended up being three missionaries that actually had um, dealt with me. Uh, and taught me, and um, and they were uh, Ben Sycamore, Jacob Fulton, and John Sharp. And I also have contact with all three of them. And you know, um, all all of them are are really really good friends of mine. But even better yet, I, they're they're like brothers. You know, um, 
I have a very strong connection with, with a few of them. And, you know, they are just amazing people, unbelievable people. And, um, you know, I, I can't say enough about, about those missionaries and the experiences that they've, that they've gone through and, and what they, um, did to allow me to be able to feel the spirit and feel the strong spirit to be able to join the LDSV. That's a great insight, your conversion story. I'm, I'm struck with that impression. You know, the missionary that got that impression, I think you said Elder Whitaker. Um, yes. I think he got the impression to go to the door, not to talk to, not that that, that would then lead to somebody leaving the Catholic church that would join the church. So it's interesting. I think that's just important for all of us as we act on impressions, but the impression, the action may not be exactly fulfilling. The action may not mean, it may not help us completely understand that we're fulfilling the greater story that's going on there that we may not be aware of just by acting on the impression and that there may be something bigger going on here not to judge if we acted on that impression or not by on what we think would be the right outcome. And in this case, it would be that person at the door joining the church. And, but really it was you joining the church because they went back to that door. It's a fascinating sort of insight into impressions and a bigger story. And I mean, I guess God could have given them the impression to go talk to you directly, but I think that's the way things work sometimes. Um, That's it. And I, I very much agree. You're absolutely right. We receive and maybe spiritual if they'd prompting gone up sometimes. To you and talked to you directly. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have worked the way it would have worked if it, it, you know, without you know, with you just seeing them and talking to them. I don't know. That's right. And you know what? And we, re- you're absolutely right. We receive spiritual prompting sometimes, and we don't necessarily know the reason why. Sometimes that we get the impression that we need to do something. And we don't know what that reason is. And we just have to have that faith to follow it, right? And follow and do what I, the prompting is telling that. us to do. I love that, Adam. And I think, you know, Elder Whitaker sitting here and all these missionaries knowing the, the fruit of that impression. And they see you joining the church and now in a branch presidency. But I think there's a lot of impressions that we act on that we may never know the fruit of those um, listeners, that we may never know what good became of the impression that we acted on. President Monson was so good at impressions, and often often he saw the full story, but I think there's a lot of acting on impressions, a note or a kind comment, a smile, just all the things that were acted on to do a dinner that really helped people maybe more than we ever know. Um, Talk about being gay and joining the church. Did you think it would be... It doesn't sound like you had a particularly difficult time being gay and Catholic. Did you think it would be harder or easier being gay and LDS? It was not, not really on your radar map too much at that point. Well, it, it, it was. I mean, okay. obviously, um, I think, especially at the time, I mean, um, I, I think especially at the time, uh, a lot of church denominations didn't necessarily weren't necessarily favorable to people who were gay. And, um, you know, it's becoming a little bit more um, accepted a little bit as you go on, you know, as we go on in years. But um, 
I think at the time it really wasn't as much. And so, uh, and I think about the Catholic church and, and I mean, the Catholic church standpoint on people with same sex attraction and people who are gay was very much the same as the LDS faith. So for me, that part of the transition wasn't really any different. Um, I guess for me, in my mind, I, I thought, you know, it's, I'm still the way I am. <laughs> I, and I just thought to always, I always have to be myself. I always have to um, follow the promptings I'm given, follow God the best I can, uh, be the best Christian that I can. And, you know, and just follow the path that I'm led in. Um, I was led to the LDS church and that's the, you know, I just have to have the faith that God has the right plan for me. And that was all that was really going on in my mind. I wasn't so concerned about, um, you know, treatment about being gay, you know, um, I just was more concerned about doing what I felt to be right for myself. Yeah. That's, helpful for all of us that aren't converts and just you bring this perspective of of being gay in one faith and being gay in another faith and obviously um being baptized didn't make you straight i know you didn't go into your baptism thinking that well if i just get baptized i'll be straight i think you knew pretty clearly that that wouldn't change your sexual orientation um but it sounds like you were drawn to our church um because of our restored doctrine and the feelings yes. and the testimony, and it wasn't necessary that it was going to be easier being gay or harder being gay, but it was our restored doctrine, the Book of Mormon, um, all the things that you've kind of talked about. So talk about just now you're, um, you know, baptized in the church, you're in your mid-20s roughly. Um, talk about starting to, and you get put to work in the church. So talk about coming out as gay to church leaders as they're extending church callings and serving it doesn't sound like you were way public about this, but you were pretty honest about it. So just share with our listeners some of those experiences you had. Definitely. So I, I um, yeah, like, I mean, as I mentioned to you already, I, I don't, I, I didn't really, um, like, I, I don't feel it's a necessary thing to have to really share with everybody the fact that I'm gay. Like, I, I knew it wasn't something I was going to outright share with the entire congregation or the entire stake or, you know, um, but there are people that it matters to and the people, and there are people that need to know. So very much like your parents obviously need to know there, there are people that need to know that you're gay. I mean, you know, it, it's just something that they, that you should be sharing with them. So similarly in the church, it's something that the bishops and the stake leaders need to know. So even though I wasn't openly stating it to all the members in, in my ward, right. I, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, I had friends that I did tell, you know, and that were members of the church and, you know, and, and that was completely fine. You know, the the interactions I had with the, the other members that were friends of mine um, was very, very positive. And I have very, very strong 
bonds and strong connections and strong friendships with many of them still, even to this day, um, from that I met years ago in Saskatoon. And, um, but like I say, the, I had to tell the leaders and the leadership. So at all points of being a member, the leaders knew. So the bishops that I've had have known. The stake presidents or stake presidencies that I've had have known. Right. And, and um, I think, you know, you know, and I, and I go back to reflecting and I mean, I've been, even though they knew, I've been given several callings in the church and, you know, um, and it comes back to me thinking just because I'm gay, being gay, it's part of how God created me and it's part of who I am It's part of what makes me who I am, but it doesn't define me. Right. It's part of, it's part of, it's just part of who I am. It's not how I act. It's not what I, you know, I have my own characteristics. I have my own abilities. I have my faith in God, right? All my actual characteristics and attributes and Christ-like characteristics that I, that I have are what can constitute callings. God gives us callings based on our faith. He gives us callings based on our belief. He doesn't give us callings because we're straight or we're gay. Wow. Right? We, I mean, he's also, yes, God gives us some challenges as well in our lives. He's never going to give us any challenge that is that he thinks is going to be too much for us to bear or too much for us to struggle. But the biggest thing, and I, I don't know, I can't really stress it any bigger, but it's the faith. You have to have faith in God and his plan and know that he's got a plan for everybody. So, I mean, I, I, so in sharing those things um, with the leaders of the church, they all knew, I mean, we've had a few discussions with it about it, um, you know, with each, each leader that I, I talked to, we had discussions about it. Yeah. I mean, there were a few of them that, that didn't fully understand it. You know, maybe I was the first one, first person that they had to deal with that actually told them maybe. And, and I'm sure that that's potentially true in certain circumstances. So my experience with each one that I had told, it wasn't, um, there wasn't, um, like they, they weren't trying to, um, get mad. They never got mad at me. Right. They knew I was being honest. Um, they never came down on me or anything. Um, they never shunned me in any way, never threw me out, but they were trying to understand it better. These individuals, um, with their amount of love and compassion that they've been given through their callings, that they were called by God to fulfill, were showing compassion and love towards me and trying to understand same-sex attraction better. And try to understand, like, because they just didn't really know much about it. 
And um, for that, I have a lot of respect for them, you know, um, you know, and, and they just showed a whole big deal of love, lots and lots and lots of love. And, you know, I, I, I still also have contact with uh, there's, there's, so from Saskatoon, there's two individuals in particular that are in that, well, that were in leadership in, in the state and that stand out to me in my mind. And I'm going to name them if that's okay. Good. Uh, with you, Richard, but, um, so John Spencer, uh, and Doug Robertson, John Spencer was a Bishop that I had at one point, but then he was also called in as a counselor in the state presidency. And then Doug Robertson was the state president from quite a few years. It was actually, I think he was the state president for almost 10 years, almost. But anyway, both of these individuals, and I, and I do have contact with them still, but they just are amazing, amazing Christ-like characters. They just, they, they, when they speak to anyone, they just love flows from them. You can just feel the outpouring love and that they and care and concern that they have for everybody, you know, and um, it's quite remarkable. Uh, anyway, I have a lot of respect and a huge amount of love for those two um, and for what they've done in the leadership. And one of those, we, before we recorded, um, Adam wanted to, talk about same-sex attraction in the stake and I believe mm-hmm. reached out to you and asked for your guidance on talking about that subject and how did that make you feel? Yeah so um, it was the stake president uh, Doug Robertson that I had named there uh, he uh, when he was the stake president he had been given um, uh, he had been given um, topics that needed to be uh, given in talks at a, at a state conference. And uh, he'd been given those by uh, the Area 70. And one of them was to talk about same-sex attraction and the church. And, um, I, I mean, sure, he could have, he could have um, assigned that out to somebody. But instead of assigning that out to somebody, he decided to keep that and deliver that talk himself. So he did. And, um, and I have a lot of respect for him for doing that. First of all, you know, because he really wanted to understand it better. He wants, he, he really wanted to try to know and have a full understanding of how same sex attraction in the church could fit together and could work together. Right. And, um, anyhow, so as soon as he kept it for himself, he actually phoned me and asked me if, if I would be okay if he would uh, could ask me a few questions about it. And he did. And, you know, that once again, just speaks a lot to his willingness um, to learn about it and his integrity um, and care. You know, again, he didn't want to come down on me or shun me on any, in any way, shape or form. He just wanted to understand it better and know about it and know how he'd be, how he could be able to even maybe try to help me. You know, um, and, and that just speaks volumes for leaders and leadership in the church to be able to do. 
It's really cool. Um, you remind me a little bit of my friend in Calgary, Jerry Chong. I don't know if you know Jerry. He's a gay convert. Um, mm-hmm. And he does a lot of inclusion education in his stakes. And his local leadership has asked him to go around and do trainings and help, just like mm-hmm. your stake president did. And so there's some similarities between your two stories. And if you don't know each other, I hope you connect you and Jerry, cause you're both Canadians, you're both converts and you're both gay and you're both <laughs> active in the church and helping others understand. Talk about, um, uh, talk about just what it's, are you, are you at peace being alone and celibate? So you've got this path to fully participate in the church. You're long. I mean, you're, you don't have a partner. You're living the law of chastity and you're on your own. Some mm-hmm. of my celibate gay members that are doing that wish there was a way they could have a partner. They wish there was a way they could just share their life with somebody and fully participate in church. And some are just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think about that. I don't need that. I'm just fine the way I am. Do you want to share just what, if you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. And again, <laughs> great questions. Um, so you're right. I mean, deep down, um, deep down, yeah, you, you really do wish, um, that you would, that you could have, um, a partner, you know, and that's honest. not be, not be alone, you know, like deep down you really do. I mean, it's human nature to want companionship. Right. Um, so, uh, however, <laughs> Again, for me, I come back to thinking, you know, um, God, and again, I know I've stated it a couple times already, but God has a plan, right? And, And I don't worry so much about it. I just know that I need to have faith and follow what I, what path I feel that God and the spirit is directing me in. Um, and, and having said that, I mean, I know that everything is uh, happens on God's timing too, you know? Um, so if God ever um, wanted, wants us to have companions on this earth, like as same sex individuals, um, then I know that he would give that direction to the prophet. Right. And I just have that full faith and that full belief. Also, I, and I've thought about it a lot, and I I really feel that everybody is going to have a companion. Everybody's meant to have a companion, and I don't think that God would have created us to not have companions. It's human nature, too, to do that and to have companions. So I fully believe that um, I will eventually have a companion. might not be in this life but it might be in the next life after I pass away. Right. So after I pass away, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I I just have this strong faith that I'll be placed with a companion after I die. And if nothing else, you know, if it doesn't happen before. And, um, and, and so if this is a challenge, if being having same sex attraction is a challenge that God has placed us with on earth, that, you know, he'll remove the challenge after we pass away, you know, and then maybe he'll place us with a companion at that time. Or, like, 
it, it's hard to say. I mean, it's all speculation. What exactly? Because we don't know what God's plan is. All I know is that I have that strong faith that I need to follow what it is that I feel that God in the spirit is telling me to, the path that God is telling me to follow on this earth. And that's, so that's what I'm doing. That's a really honest segment, Adam. Thanks for being so honest. Do you feel that companion next life could be a woman or a man, or do you just not go down that road and try to figure out how that works? You know, I, I don't, I've never really thought about it. Like I, I don't try to worry about thinking about that um, for myself anyway. I, I just know that um, it, I don't know. And maybe it will be like, will God, um, will God, like if, if it's a trial, like, you know, we're given trials or disabilities on some people have disabilities on here, right. When they pass away, the disability, it's believed the disability is removed from them, right? So is the same-sex attraction, is that a challenge or a trial that we're given to try to deal with and endure in our earthly life that will be removed from us and then replaced with a female after? Or is it something that, you know, God has created and that's the way it is and, and we don't understand it on this earth and when we pass away, that he'll say that it's okay. It's okay to be gay and it's okay to have a same-sex partner. Like, you know, it's, I don't worry about the speculation of that. I mean, but I just have that full faith that everybody is meant to have a companion. And at some point, whether it be in this earth, earthly life or the next life, that, 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 that God will bless me with that on his timing when the time is right. Thank you, Adam, for that segment. And just my thoughts, listeners, when I listen to Adam, um, I'm just glad that Adam acknowledges that he would love to have a companion. And, and that everybody, I think, would love to have a companion that doesn't have one. <laughs> and I just recognize this, you know, I, I never was faced with this kind of double bind when I was looking for a companion, that if I found a companion, it would put me at odds with the church. And so I just, I think it's okay, listeners, to just sit with people and recognize the sacrifice that someone like Adam's making. I don't know if he'd use the word sacrifice, just the choice he's making and the faith he's showing to fully participate in the church, but he is sacrificing something. And perhaps all of us sacrifice things in our lives to fully participate in the church, but I think it's okay to sit with Adam in the pain of that and just honor um, and just honor the difficulty of that and not just point to the next life that everything will be okay, but sit with Adam now and just acknowledge that it's hard at times and to be alone at times is hard. Um, and then I, I, you know, when I wrote this book, I asked the question, I asked Adam, what are your hopes for the next life to be? If you're gay, do you hope to be straight or do you hope, do you believe you're still be gay? And there's a range of responses in the book, just like Adam. Um, said, you know, so Adam wonders, you know, will this be taken away from me? Is this a mortal thing that I will be straight in the next life? Or is this part of my essence that won't, isn't something that needs to be corrected in a resurrection? And so I've learned to just, instead of me, straight people defining that for LGBTQ people, I really think it's good for all of us to listen to people like Adam to share his feelings about the next life. 
and not sort of project our feelings from a, a heteronormative perspective because we can add to people's burdens. So I just admire the faith you have in talking about the next life. And there's no, you know, there's no temple recommend questions that require us to have uniform beliefs about the next life. Listeners, I kind of put that in the book. So I've learned to honor um, lots of LGBTQ feelings about their journey in the next life, even those that are fully participating in the church that may feel doors that aren't open to them now will be open the next life. And even though that's sort of like, well, how will that work? That implies maybe a change in policy or doctrine. I've learned to just kind of let that be okay is there, and not sort of make them feel unfaithful as they're fully participating in the church because they may have feelings about the next life that don't neatly line up with their current doctrine or policy. So that's listeners just the way I acknowledge it because I don't want to do anything to make Adam's journey harder in the church. He's fully participating. He's in a leadership calling. Um, and he's being pretty honest with some of his feelings. And I think he just needs, and I get tears in my eyes, I think he just needs all the love and support that we can possibly give for um, the road he's walking and the things he's doing in our church. Are you okay with what I said, Adam? Is there anything I said that you want to correct or um, no, clarify? Are you okay with that? You're absolutely right. I mean, that is that is correct, correct statement. Yeah. Talk about, um, you're at the first council in a branch prison, so you probably don't go out on every visit and tell people you're gay, but do you feel like you have a superpower that you just kind of get people, people that have harder roads and, and you just have insights and to just reach people and connect with them that it's kind of like a superpower. Do you feel that's one well, couple LGBTQ people have kind of defined this using these terms. This is actually a superpower of mine to just help people that no one else can sort of connect with? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I've never really, I've never really thought about it in that uh, context <laughs> or have it be called as a superpower per se, but, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I almost feel like I should be sporting a cape or something. <laughs> That's funny. Anyways. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been, I've been actually very blessed to have um, the opportunity to be, to serve in this church in, in various callings, um, like, like so many different callings, like from teacher to in elders quorum presidencies to music stuff. Um, the stake in, in Saskatoon called me to be the stake music chairman in Saskatoon. Um, you know, uh, in, also in Saskatoon, I was called as a as a clerk at one point. I was also called as a ward executive secretary, you know, and the clerk and executive secretary are both bishopric callings, you know. So to be called into callings like that, um, and even the state music chairman, you know, to be called into callings like that, that are like stake, more like callings that are given by the stake, and they know that you're gay you know, and have the same sex attraction. I think, you know, I, I felt very, um, I don't know, if, I, I guess, like, moved almost, you know, and, you know, actually impressed the fact that they, you know, they know that you have the same sex attraction and they still give those types of leadership callings, right? And um, 
so it was great. And then, and then after uh, being in Saskatoon, also coming to Alberta, you know, all of a sudden one day I got called up by the stake president. And like I say, the Grand Prairie stake is a little over two hour drive away from me. And so I didn't know the stake president all that well. So I, I, I knew that he liked to get to know the members, you know, all the members quite well in the stake. And, and so anyway, he phoned me up the one day and we're just chit chatting away and he's getting to know me and whatnot. And, and he, right towards the end of the call, he goes, all right, that that's great. I feel like I, I know you quite well now. And uh, I'd like to extend the call for you to be uh, the first counselor in the branch presidency. And I went, what? <laughs> you know, um, so yet again, I just feel very, very blessed to know that, you know, and I think back to going to, to my statement of saying that you can be called to callings, not because like, not because you're straight or not because you're gay, you know, you're called to callings because of your faith and because of your characteristics, your attributes, things that you can share um, the path that God wants you to be on, um, all those things all contribute to callings. And yes, I know um, it is very, very rare to be called to that, to especially a counselor in a branch presidency or a bishopric role as a single individual, let alone same-sex attraction, you know, individual. So it it actually made me very humble almost as well in in that same uh, same token and then but then upon reflection of it to answer your question as well you're right it you think back and and I, I guess like I said I never have thought of it about it as a superpower but you're right it's because you have had experiences and you've been through struggles um, you've been through challenges. Even if an individual within the branch or ward might not have the same struggle as you do, like whether they do or they don't, you know, like they might have a different struggle. But anyone that has gone through um, and tried to deal with uh, more of a difficult challenge in their lives can at least relate to someone else that is going through a challenge, a difficult challenge in their life as well. Right. So to that, to that extent, I, I do feel that, yeah, it is beneficial because, yeah, you can relate to the individuals um, and you can try to help help them out. Um, you know, um, lots of times you can, if you share stories, you share the story of your experiences, even if it's not the exact same challenge or difficulty, the stories can be relatable. You know, so you have to be. I guess it's made me reflect and made me humble. Like it's really made me humbled to be able to serve in such a calling in such a capacity and help others. But uh, it also has made me realize that I can help people with my own scenarios, my own circumstances, my own life experiences and challenges I've dealt with, you know, and it does really help people try to even overcome. And I, I guess that's partially the reason why I really wanted to do this, this podcast as well is to try to share the story, share the experience, um, you know, try to help inspire 
and motivate others that might be, whether they're dealing with same-sex attraction or any other challenge in their life, to try to help overcome. That's a really good segment. Um, I've thought about your branch president here and his prayers as he's calling a counselor. And um, and I've thought about, I'm a secretary in an elders quorum, so I'm not in a, a leadership calling where I'm responsible for a ward. But I think if I were, I'd be thinking awfully hard about, I want everybody in my stewardship responsibility to feel like they belong. Um, that people like them are welcome in the congregation. And that it's not, and I think about our families that are in nuclear families that have a mom and a dad and kids, and that's sort of the LDS ideal. And I love that. And I grew up in that and our family is that. But I recognize that if you're not part of that, and that is sort of locked out of your possibility like it is for you, then there's almost an othering or you just don't fit in sometimes. You don't feel like you belong because you're not part. You've gone through a divorce or in your case, you, you know, you don't have a path to have a nuclear family. And so I think we just have to create a feeling that nuclear families are welcome and they have belong. But all of those that, you know, are outside of that possibility or that reality in their lives it doesn't create an othering feeling for them that they feel like they belong. And if they have different levels of testimony or they have tats or they're a different political party or whatever, they're working on serious repentance issues that they still feel a sense of belonging. So I, I love what your branch president has done. And through his inspiration has recognized that what you can do is help everybody in your branch feel like they belong. And that people like them are welcome here because they see in leadership kind of people from um, different walks of life. That's why I've loved, you know, in our senior leadership of our church, single sisters being called into the General Relief Society presidency. I was looking at them at our whole, that's the ensign has all of our general officers and general authorities. And I support and sustain those men and women, but there's not one there that identifies at least publicly as LGBTQ. And I would hope that changes. I would hope that, you know, somebody up in that people like you that are out, um, move up the ranks of the church and are in those senior callings. And um, because of your voice on the senior councils of the church to help everybody understand LGBTQ, just like your stake president did. And also for younger people to look at that chart and feel like there's a place for them, that there's senior people in our church that are LGBTQ that are needed and helping us become the body of Christ. And it gives vision to younger people. So you're a trailblazer, and that's part of my hope for the future. Um, and it's people like you that are really, I call snowplows people that go down the road for the first time. You and Jerry Chong in Canada are two that I know of that are really paving the way for younger people to say there are people like me that belong here in this church with its beautiful restored doctrine. Um, I can be here. And yes. even people that perhaps are in same sex relationships can feel welcome, at least in our congregations that will, everybody I think should feel welcome. They can't fully participate. They can't be in a branch presidency if they're in a same sex marriage, obviously. But I hope as a congregation, we at least just help everybody feel welcome that wants to come. I think Christ would do that 
for everybody that's brave enough to walk through the door and just wants to feel Christ in their lives. So now I've talked yes, and for too long. So <laughs> Adam, I, I sending agree it with back you, to you. That was a very good point. It's a very good point, and I agree with you 100%. Like um, President uh, Cooper is the branch president here, and uh, Way to President, go, president Hingano Cooper. is... Yeah, and President Hingano is uh, the stake president in, um, in Grand Prairie Stake. And again, both of them, they, they knew that I was gay and called me as first counselor in the branch presidency. That's cool. Um, now, all the members, some of the members of the branch know that I'm gay, I, but I don't, a lot of them don't. I, I, don't, I don't think some, there, I think that there's some that don't know. And to me, again, it comes back to saying, it doesn't matter to, like, I don't think it should matter. And, you know, the people that needed to know did know. The leaders knew, right? I just want the rest of the, the branch or the rest of the wards I ever am serving in or have served in to know me for me and for who I am as a person and as an individual, gay, straight, whatever, you know, whatever sexual orientation or whatever racial orientation or, you know, I want them to, to trust, trust my leadership capabilities and trust the fact that I can help them out and I can serve them and, and to feel open and willing enough to come, be able to come to me if they need a hand, regardless of knowing all the specifics about me you know and who i am how how should we treat um ld latter-day saints that are gay or lesbian that end up in a same-sex relationship um that's outside the teachings of our church Uh, often it's gay people in our church that have the sort of they know that road so they often have the best you know how should we treat somebody like that um just any you know, obviously, just any thoughts um, on how we should treat people? Whether they have, uh, whether they, uh, no matter who they are, what, no matter what religious denomination they have, whatever race they have, gender affiliation, if they're in a same-sex relationship or not, I think the same answer applies to how we should treat all individuals, and it's just one word, love. I think we need to be a little bit more of thinking of how the Savior was on this earth, how he treated every individual. There's countless stories in the Bible of how he treated everybody. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, um, um, uh, place any type of discrimination on anybody. He loved everybody. There was nobody that he wasn't willing to go and help and serve. Right? We need to, and, and, like, and if for some reason we feel like we're going to have to discriminate, like, count someone out or not help them, we need to then humble ourselves to come back down reality and help those that need our help regardless of the circumstance if we have people with same-sex attraction and they are in a in a 
relationship. We need to still treat them with love. Have that care and concern for them. Help them if they need help. Be relatable to them, like understand them, listen to them, you know? That's the biggest thing too. Have a bit of empathy. Be sympathetic. Welcoming. Welcoming into the church doors. You know, we should be welcoming to everybody and not turning our backs on anybody. You know, that's that's just my thought process. I love that. And I just, I agree with what you say, Adam. And um, I hope if there's couples in same-sex relationships that their spiritual home is the church, but they just feel like people like them aren't welcome there, that perhaps you give it another chance and perhaps we give it another chance that I've always felt the gate doesn't narrow at the congregation, that it's wide and everybody should feel welcome there. And it shouldn't be a requirement to be living all the commandments to feel welcome. Um, there's the right. temple and there's a narrowing of the gate for the temple where there's a behavior belief, a behavior and a belief hurdle. But I just think the congregation ought to feel welcome for everybody. Just like Adam sh- sharing, there's a quote from my book on page 284. Um, we as members of the church need to stop focusing on, we need to love people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on, we need to love people because they deserve to be loved. And I think that's just what you taught, taught us. Um, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts, Adam, and I've met with a lot of people and everybody's unique. Every story's unique. And I don't want to elevate one story over another, but you are, you are unique in the sense you've walked a lot of this road alone. Um, without a lot of community of LDS, LGBTQ people to sort of, you know, connect with and sort of walk this road together. And that's often very helpful, but it teaches me it's not necessarily mandatory because you've kept God in your life and you've kept personal revelation in your life and you've uh, managed to move forward in a really thoughtful way. And I, I also give credit to all your local leaders that put you to work and made you feel like you're needed. We all need to become the body of Christ, Paul talks about we all are needed, not just those that are in a nuclear family that fit the mold, but all of us that are in unique situations that a local leader may be reluctant to give them a calling because they don't quite fit the mold, but it actually may help um, the congregation grow in the way it needs to and the culture to improve in the way it needs to so that everybody feels welcome. Um, so it helps you, but it helps our church. and. This is just a remarkable story, and um, you're a remarkable man. You need to know that, Adam, and on behalf of all our listeners, I hope, you know, the 10,000 or so that will listen to this, just, you know, they really appreciate who you are, and I hope some connect with you and let you know that directly. Uh, Many final things you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, actually, yes. I would, if if possible, I would would love to talk about my... um, Uh, health issues. Talk about that because you've had some near-death experiences. Yes. So um, I uh, actually, uh, a couple years ago, um, had an aortic dissection. And so for those that uh, might not understand or know what that is, um, basically what happens is that your aorta, um, your aorta has three layers to it. And the outer layer is the thickest and strongest layer. And so when you're, you have the aortic dissection, it's your outer layer that tears. 
and it leaves the inner two layers um, that are very thin and weak. It leaves them exposed and that chance of rupturing. And if those tear and rupture, then it's very fatal, obviously. You, it bleeds out and you die very, very quickly. Um, so I was actually told by specialists that, um, that probably about 85% of people that have an aortic dissection die either on their way to the hospital or before being able to be treated. Of the 15% that survive, the aortic dissection is usually about three or four inches long. And so they're able to go in and put a, like surgically and put a stent on it. And approximately six weeks of recuperation time, you're better and you're able to keep moving on and, and get healing. My aortic dissection, however, is two feet long. It goes, it goes from the left side of my heart where the lower aorta connects to the heart and goes all the way down and across to the top of my right leg. Um, I was in the ICU and I literally had a specialist walk into me and tell me that I was very likely going to die and that I should prepare for death if I wasn't already prepared for it. You know, (laughs) as he told me that, my automatic reaction was, and I even said to him, I said, well, I looked at him and I said, well, I'm a Christian and I believe in God and I believe that God has a plan for everybody. And so if I do die here today, then God needs me somewhere else in uh, somewhere else to help people or to some other capacity. If I survive and I'm still alive, then God needs me to be here on the earth for some purpose and some reason. And that specialist looked at me and went, oh, okay then. And he turned around and he walked away. (laughs) And, you know, um, you know, they actually told me that they've never seen anyone with a two foot long aortic dissection that is alive to be treated. So for me to be alive, for me to be doing as well as I am, for me to have my color back, uh, for me to be mobile, you know, without oxygen, they haven't done surgery on me because they can't. They don't want to attempt a surgery because they think it would be a fatal thing uh, if they did, right? So for me to be able to get back somewhat to a normal life. I'm not in the clear yet. I still have restrictions to deal with, but to be quite almost back to normal or as normal as I can be is quite remarkable. And I bring it back to faith. And I really have to mention to all the listeners, and I know this isn't, this is kind of apart from the LGBTQ and the same sex attraction stuff. However, it is very important that to mention because I makes me have a huge, huge testimony that miracles happen. God makes miracles happen in every day. And, you know, we just need to have faith. 
We have to have that strong faith and that belief in God. Now, all the specialists have no clue why I'm still alive. A lot of them are just, they, they don't know. They just, all they can tell me is that it's a miracle. And I believe that to be true. And, but I also believe from it that God still has a purpose for me on this earth. There's still something that I need to be doing on this earth. And is part of it trying to continue in leadership in the church, trying to help other LGBTQ individuals, try to help leaders in this church understand it. Could be all of those things. You know, all I can do is continue on on my path, continue listening to the promptings of the Spirit, continue loving everybody, continue doing my best to serve people and help others in need, and follow the path that I feel that God wants me to be on and follow that direction. And that's the best that I can do because I have a full, firm testimony that God is watching over me. And I have angels protecting me and guiding me and watching me because I experienced a miracle to be saved and to still be alive. And, you know, I just need to have all thankfulness and be very grateful to God for the many blessings that I have experienced in my life. And with that powerful concluding testimony, we'll sign off. This is Adam Brulot. Um, B-R-U-L-O-T-T-E, if you want to find Adam on Facebook, and Richard Osler signing off on another episode. And Adam, great job of Listen, Learn, and Love. 